You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. It's day 419 of the lockdown and uh, we're still in a state of disaster. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Well, the brand father, Jeremy Sampson, MD of Brand Finance Africa, has always got an opinion. Jeremy, it's uh, an important week because we started phase two of the vaccine rollout program. Not without its hiccups, mind you. How are you doing? Hello, Michael. Good to be with you as always. Yes, I believe the rollout has started. Um, looking forward to getting my call. But um, at least it started. And uh, no, watching uh, people from Discovery Health talking the other night, uh, they seem to be moving through. Yes, there are logistical problems still. Is there a lack of supply? Is there a lack of connectivity with people who should be going and get the jab? I guess all those things need to be fine-tuned. After all, they haven't had too long to prepare for this, have they? Well, oh, I mean, <laughs> we knew it was going to happen, especially on the, the EVDS system or uh, the electronic vaccine uh, database system. That was always going to be a weak point. We saw on the second day the system crashed, so Discovery just decided to allow people to walk in and, and get a jab. But that really isn't the way these things are supposed to be run because you need to be monitoring who's getting it, when they should get their follow-up, and when they should get their their SMS. Jeremy, when did you register? And I believe you, you still haven't received your, uh, your follow-up uh, information with when you're going to get it and where you need to go. Well, quite right. I, I got a, a tip-off from um, a specialist friend who sent me a note on Sunday, and that Sunday was the last day of February, and I registered on the Monday morning, the 1st of February, and I have it recorded with an SMS, uh, sorry, 1st of March. And the 1st of March, I think, was the first day for registration. And that's where it sits. And I hadn't heard a thing. Um, and everyone says, well, you know, why don't you just pitch up? And then other people are saying, no, 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 don't pitch up. Uh, but apparently yesterday morning, Discovery was sitting there for a couple of hours without anyone there at all. And then when they put the word out, people started arriving to the point they actually had to shut their doors at their Discovery head office. So I'm just waiting for that SMS. No, I've been told not to try and jump the queue, although I don't understand it, to be honest, because people are a lot younger than me. A friend of 69 phoned me last night and said, you don't want to hear this, but I've just got my SMS. I'm going tomorrow morning. I don't understand what's going on. Uh, I think you need to follow up, Jeremy, because I believe it is first in, first vaccinated. And if you registered as uh, early as that, uh, you really should have received that information already. So I'd be scratching around a little bit if I was you. D- Discovery have their own vaccine portal that they've set up. I was chatting to uh, Dr. Ryan Notes the other day. It runs in parallel with the EVDS system. Are you with Discovery? I am. And to be honest, I've registered on all of them. And he was a gentleman being interviewed, I think it was on BDTV last night at about 20 past eight, and just talking about the progress and how things were going. Um, if that was a live uh, transmission, and I think it was, there were people still being vaccinated at that time. But he said it twice, and he stressed it. We can only do what we do based on what the government sends us, and do not come in unless you've got your SMS. I, I agree with you. I'd like to go in there and hustle, but apart from anything else, I've got so much work on the go, and my schedule is so terrible. I'm almost dreading getting a call for a COVID between a certain two hours because I'm not sure if I could make it. But then they probably don't assume that someone over the age of 65 is still working and still busy and doing other things. 
Well, Jeremy, uh, we know and we've discussed it many times in the past that uh, retirement is just a social construct and we just carry on going. Uh, if you can provide uh, and add value, uh, then why the hell not? And there's a lot of value to be had in the South African marketplace at the moment. If you look at it, it looks like the risk on stars are aligning for mergers and acquisitions. It feels like the roaring 20s round two again because the world is awash with all of this easy money, central bank liquidity, and it needs to find a home and it's buying all sorts of asset classes. Uh, and that's now filtering into uh, M&A. The corporate financiers must be licking their lips. Well, I think so. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk around the world that they expected it to happen. As you say, lots of cash washing around, low interest rates, etc. And we're seeing in the media world now, um, as of the last two days, some major movements between Discovery and Warner Brothers um, and what's going on there. And, and then you see uh, apparently uh, Amazon looking at MGM. So there's stuff there and people realizing you need scale, you need size, but also in their case, you need to push back against the people like the Netflix, Netflixes and the, the Apples uh, and, uh, of course, Disney+. Plus. And then in this country, and there are not too many people, I think, noticed that a year or so ago, Pepsi came in and took out Pioneer, um, Pioneer Foods, and they had a lot of uh, fantastic brands there. Um, and that seems to have quietly gone ahead. Pepsi, of course, already had um, a footprint in uh, South Africa, um, but really uh, is now a huge organization, but just keeps quietly underneath the radar, as it were. But then, of course, the big one this week, and this is a rumor that's been going around for many, many months, Heineken starting to talk to Distel. Um, Heineken, of course, have got, again, a lot of interest in South Africa, uh, but like SAB and, and the lockdown on alcohol sales, they had held back investing um, and making their plans uh, be put on ice until we're basically, I guess, through a third or fourth wave, or hopefully no waves at all. Mm. But approaching Distel, which after all, Richard Rushton, um, the CEO of Distel, or the former SA Breweries International guy, he understands scale, he understands distribution, um, and uh, he's been pushing the group into Africa uh, big time. And I think Heineken are recognizing that and seeing, well, here's a tasty morsel, probably paying it for it in euros. It's uh, probably uh, quite a cheap date as well. It is a rather cheap date. And if you look at it, I mean, Heineken's got a cider portfolio. Uh, Savannah, therefore, makes sense if you look at some of the uh, the, the big brands that Distel has. And uh, I certainly see, unless we're seeing a huge strategic pivot here, I certainly see no reason for Heineken to keep the spirits and the wine portfolios. Uh, the, the whiskey portfolio might be attractive to a, a Perno or a Diageo, uh, and it could offload those assets. Uh, I've seen some figures at around uh, 15 times uh, EV EBITDA multiple. So, uh, and that's at 15% uh, of current profits. Uh, and that's a nice little deal funder for Heineken as well, if it wants to. Uh, I think the bottom line here is that there are very attractively priced South African assets uh, almost going on sale at the moment. Well, absolutely. But, you know, I, I've got quite a long memory, and I remember working in London, um, I think it was about August, September um, 1987, when a certain Ernest Saunders, who was the CEO of um, a company called Guinness, which you all know, and Ernest Saunders was interesting because he'd had a background at Nestle. He'd been a very senior executive there, so he understood brands. And he was head of uh, Guinness, and he aggressively went after distillers, 
which is, of course, was the Scottish company um, with mainly uh, whiskey interests and other spirits. And it got very nasty. You know, the city of London, I think it was Morgan Grenfell and various people were involved. Um, the spin doctors, uh, there were accusations of uh, doing all sorts of naughty things to share prices and various things. Hmm. But eventually, Ernest Saunders won. And of course, out of that came Diageo, the biggest drinks company in the world. But he famously said that distillers had a treasure trove, and that was the term he used, of brands. They have no idea what the value of those brands are. And added to that, they have all sorts of liquid assets, which are priced not at commercial rates, and it's just ticking away there. And so this country is, or this company, mm. is greatly undervalued. And on that basis, as I say, it took a few weeks, if I'm correct, about six or seven weeks. But eventually he was successful. And, uh, well, the rest is history. Look at Diageo today. Yeah, it makes me think, Jeremy, during a crisis like this that does impact the underlying um, value of brands and those assets and those intangibles that are sitting on a, on a balance sheet or sometimes not. And we've discussed why uh, in the past, because you can only really account for them after you've done a deal. There's a lot of value there that managers of firms perhaps don't understand or appreciate. Um, and on the one side, you, you may have assets um, that are extremely valuable and you want to sell them into a bull market, uh, or you may be wanting to understand a competitor's assets, uh, which you might be able to pick up on the cheap. We just don't well, understand our, our brand value enough. Yes, absolutely. Uh, according to brand finance, on average around the world, companies today in brands, something like 20% um, are made up uh, of the value of the company um, is made up of their brands. And um, when you actually look at the values of these brands, I think it was quite a surprise in putting together the South Africa Top 50 last year that Distel was coming in, I speak under correction, it was about number 13 or 12. Um, it was quite high up. And, and I know talking to Richard Rushton a few years ago, just after he'd been appointed at Distel, because I, I'd known him at SAP, I asked him how many brands he had, and he said, I, I don't know. He said, we've got so many things ticking over here. We've got so many heritage brands, some of the old wine brands like Sonneblum. But he said, you know, my job here is to make it fit for purpose for today and what the demands of the consumer today. And already he had the vision that he had to break out of South Africa and move up into Africa. And that's what he's been doing the last few years. But you're absolutely right. The value of these brands, most people have no idea what the values are worth. And this is only when you actually get into mergers and acquisitions and people say, well, I've got all these brands, but I haven't a clue what they're worth. We better start measuring them. And that's uh, how you basically put together the the top 50 because you get in there and you actually you take out uh, the old measuring tape and uh, and you weigh and you measure South Africa's uh, top brands and you've been doing it for some time uh, we're announcing the winners uh, during a webinar on Monday and to my earlier point the, the Aussie, and I was just running the numbers, it looks extremely cheap relative to its own history. We're trading on a 10 times forward price earnings multiple. The long-term average is uh, 12 times. And as we said, with Pioneer Pepsi, with Distel Heineken, with all of these uh, deals going through, I think there's a lot of activity in this space. Uh, what else are you going to be covering during the webinar? Well, when we talk about value as well, uh, as you know, Michael, we're talking about the financial value of a brand. In other words, if you bought or sold it, and you're talking about the emotional value, the brand strength, the brand reputation. And uh, again, in South Africa, it's very interesting that 
I don't want to give too much away, but when we announce it on uh, Monday, we'll find that compared with 12 months ago, the value of the top 50 brands has only gone down 2%. Now, people will remember that shares absolutely plummeted, especially Distel. Distel took a huge hit, um, especially with the government lockdowns. But they've come back up. And in Distel's case, of course, just this week, it's started rocketing right up. This reminds me of um, some of the big takeover stories in Europe where Sometimes you get not just one bidder, but two bidders um, fighting over, over a particular brand, um, as has happened with the, the chocolate industry in the UK. But it is very interesting that, as you say, most brands, I think, are, or most companies owning brands, are pretty lowly rated uh, in South Africa, whereas internationally, perhaps, um, no disrespect to the local guys, but the international guys recognize perhaps the potential of taking uh, a South African brand and taking it global. Um, Amarula, I know, is one of the, probably the most international of Distel's brands. And after Bailey's Cream, which is owned by Diageo, as I recall, it's the second best growing uh, cream alcoholic brand in the world. Now, that, in the hands of someone like a Heineken, would, I'm sure, give someone like uh, Diageo quite a run for its money. And someone asked me the other day, they said, Michael, is this a good or a bad thing? Because people become quite uh, protective. There's almost a a certain nationalism or patriotism around uh, a South African brand, especially uh, drinks brands. We know when SAB uh, was uh, swallowed up by uh, Anheuser-Busch and is now ABI, uh, there was a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth at the time. But that premium was just too much uh, to to overlook for shareholders. And Remgro is clearly interested, uh, otherwise there wouldn't be the, the cautionary on the table. But do, do you see this as a, as a vote of confidence in SA Inc., that you've got a company like Heineken coming in uh, and, and comfortable and confident enough to potentially execute on a transaction like this? Uh, absolutely. And um, as you say, Remgro owns, what, about 30%, pickers much the same. So both of them have to, I guess, agree to this. Um, but you look at the Remgro share price over the last four or five years, you look at the discount to net asset value, we're not even talking brands or IP, um, it's, well, let's be polite, it's very disappointing. Um, and I'd have thought that um, if they get a good payout here, and I'd have thought the potential to do that is uh, quite considerable, perhaps um, then uh, everyone at Stellenbosch is going to be inviting the Dutch in. <laughs> exactly. And if, I mean, if you look internationally, what we're seeing, uh, one of the the more interesting transactions, you've mentioned the uh, three-way tie-up with Warner, Discovery uh, and AT&T. Uh, they, they're going to be combining their media assets uh, into a new publicly traded company. They haven't announced a name yet, which I found quite interesting. Uh, they're probably going to be a big reveal for that. But the other big one was uh, Amazon and MGM. And, and going mega, getting that kind of scale and distribution, squeezing back on the likes of your Netflixes and your, and your Disneys and your Apples. And when Bezos buys a lion, it seems to come with a whole movie studio attached to it. What do you make of the deal? Well, again, South Africa seems to be very bad at creating scale, um, generating scale. Um, and if you want to go onto the global stage, you've got to be big. And um, in so many industries in this country, it's so fragmented and very small and everyone's fighting everyone else and people talk about tall poppies and all this sort of thing. You've got to have that critical mass. And when you look at these uh, American behemoths, that's the right word, they are absolutely huge. And I I think that um, 
one of the sad things is, though, that often your South African brands will eventually disappear unless they're taken global. And when one looks at Africa generally, we often say, well, where are the African brands? Where are the pan-African brands? And I think most people would scratch their heads and say, well, is there one? Now, I know our mutual is in about 12 countries, but hang on, there are 54 in Africa. And so what is the stretch? And then you have other companies and brands like Nando's, which has quietly gone about its business and spread itself around a considerable part of the globe and done very, very nicely. I guess most people overseas wouldn't actually know it was a South African brand. And that's obviously part, perhaps, of their positioning. But this is one of the things about Africa. We need, hopefully, more African brands that don't then get taken over and taken out and disappear. Otherwise, we just get these invaders coming in all the time from the States or Europe or wherever. And you speak of scale. Do, do you think that anyone inside uh, the president's cabinet actually understands business and understands that you need to build scale and economies of scale if you want to compete, if you want to bring down your unit cost? Uh, because you have these ideas that are floated around uh, trade industry and competition minister Ibrahim Patel's idea of you know, waving a magic wand, all of a sudden we're going to have a pathway to 20% uh, localization and to you know, raise tariff barriers and to say, well, we can do it locally to hell with the end user or the end consumer if you're going to be raising the cost of it. Uh, and who cares if we're protecting uh, uncompetitive uh, industry because they just don't have the scale. This is what we d decide via diktat must happen. And so it must happen. It, it really is kind of anathema to the way the rest of the world works. Well, absolutely. Um, I think it was Peter Bruce in his column today asks which uh, ANC leaders um, still live on this planet. He says, what planet do they live on? These statements are delusional. They're stupid. It's absolute rubbish. The world is not waiting for us. The markets dictate, not governments. And no, the ANC needs to get real. Why they've appointed various people in key positions who are blatant communists in this current world uh, beats me. Uh, and someone said, well, what about common sense? Well, I can't see any. It is crazy what's going on. And the world is not waiting for South Africa. Um, this is an absolute sideshow. It's a pimple on the back of a huge whatever. And this is where the ministers need to understand scale and the realities of the world today. Otherwise, the world moves on. We stay in a backwater and we'll be increasingly ignored, as is happening. Now, I got a bit upset this week when I saw that the UK and Australia were on the point of signing a trade deal. Well, where is South Africa's trade deal? Now, there are so many opportunities with Britain, what's going on with Brexit. Um, and then you look at industries like the wine industry, mm. which gets absolutely no support in any way from government. Uh, in fact, they tend to get beaten up from time to time and taxed um, to the point that they can hardly survive. And when you actually look at the latest figures about the number of wine farms that have closed down just in the 12 months, I think it's gone from something like 3,700 to 2,500. It just shows the pressure they're under. And doesn't the government realize that one of the key brands, if I can use that term for South Africa, is the Western Cape, it's Cape Town, and it's the wine lands and its product. That's why we've got to get people vaccinated. That's why we've got to get tourism up and running again. And then some of these poor people who've got nothing to do at the moment can be being employed, get an income, and get their pride back, hopefully. Well, that's common sense, uh, Jeremy. And uh, sadly, uh, it's far too uncommon inside uh, government, uh, as we've come to realise over the last uh, while. Jeremy, as always, a great pleasure.
Thanks, Michael. That was Jeremy Sampson, the brand father with uh, the Brands and Sense. And if you want to uh, register for that webinar, it's uh, free to attend. Go and have a look at uh, my Twitter feed. Uh, we've tweeted out uh, all the details and the links. Or, or go and look for uh, Brand Finance uh, and register to uh, attend and find out who the top 50 South African brands uh, as ranked and measured by Brand Finance are, are going to be. That is on Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock.